The Athletic. I'm Taylor Payne and welcome to Pod on the Time, the Athletics' Newcastle United podcast beloved by TV stars across the globe. Good evening, Declan. And good evening, or good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is, to Chris Woff. How are you, Chris? I'm now confused as to what time of day it is. I have no idea. Yeah. It's winter. It's all we need to know. Well, I had to uh, slum it and get the bus onto this podcast today, so you know I'm a bit under the weather, you know, in that form. You know, how could you, how could you possibly perform to our professional standards and our professional levels if you've had to get a bus across the country? So yeah. that's why I'm very worried about my own physical condition after that. Yeah, don't use getting the buses. An excuse for being absolute shite today, Chris. That's not that's not good enough, I'm afraid. Oh. Uh, Jacob Whitehead's here as well again. Jacob, how are you? Hello, how is it going? I am very good, thank you. I metroed in. I, I don't have the same excuses, so I should be on tip-top form. I mean, absolutely. if only they'd got Trans-Pennine across the country, then they might have uh, been in <laughs> been in better shape if they'd made it. Absolutely should have diverted them across the A66 and then just closed them two barriers either side of them and didn't let them out. That's, that's what we should have done. How are you, Taylor? I'm fine, man. Have you survived the, the weather over the weekend? Fine, I've just... Um, Camped in the house, basically. Lots of blankets, lots of cups of tea, lots of chocolate, lots of meat-based products. Sounds like your perfect night, doesn't it, Chris? Oh, that's absolutely ideal to me, yeah. You do strike me as a man who's continued to build pillow forts into your 30s. It's just confirm that that is the case. Well into my 40s now, Jacob, yeah. So that is exactly what we've been doing, yeah. Me and the dog just sat in there having a cuppa, watching the world go by. It's all you need, man. You should try it. You should try it. Don't grow up. Grow down. Come on, you Maggies. Right, no fancy musical montages this week because Newcastle United turned out an entirely expected and routine result on Saturday night. Uh, Man United arrived at St James's Park by bus after their flight to Newcastle fell foul of the weather. Uh, by the end of the 90 minutes, they're probably wishing that they hadn't bothered. Uh, the score, though, Chris, didn't really tell the full story, did it? Newcastle were utterly dominant. They were, and the only surprise at half-time and the only sort of sense of trepidation that maybe there was was that Newcastle hadn't converted any of the openings and clear-cut chances they had because I think there were far more openings than necessary chances of their own accord. Alexander Isak... Miguel Almiron had both had big chances in that first half and, and either through blocks or through finishing that 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 was or saves from Andrea Nana that they didn't actually score. And I mean you look at the end of the game and for all of those expected goals fans out there, Newcastle's XG was two point six five and Man United's was 0.36 and it was it was absolutely thoroughly dominant from the very first minute. Very, very similar in that sense to when Newcastle played them in April and won 2-0 following the, the Carabao Cup final, which was really, we go back to it, the real disappointment of last season was that was the one match Newcastle really didn't turn up in and some, somehow lost to this Manchester United side, who they are so much better than, absolutely dominated them throughout. On our website, if, if, if you look there, we've got, had quite a lot of coverage of it afterwards, and we had uh, Ahmed Walid did a piece sort of basically looking at, in particular, Newcastle's press, and from the first minute, they, when they chose to press, they smothered Man United, did not let Man United play out at all, and yes, eventually took their opportunity and won the game, but it could and should have been far uh, simpler in yeah. terms of the scoreline, and they should have won it far earlier than they did. 
I think that was what was exciting about it, was in a way the banality of the win. It's not like this needed absolute spectacular atmosphere to see them over the line or it was nicking a goal. It was just almost so commonplace and routine and it just showed how these two clubs have kind of switched sides. Dan Sheldon, who was covering it for the Athletic of the Manchester United side, wrote an article just talking about how Newcastle everything which Manchester United wish they could be right now. And um, if you fancy a smile uh, over the next couple of days, looking at it from the other side, then uh, I would heartily recommend that. Absolutely. Uh, Andre Anana got plenty of attention, didn't he, Chris, pre-match after his rocky night in Istanbul. No significant errors really on his part, but he looked awfully shaky, didn't he, especially uh, from set pieces and balls into the box. Yes, and uh, Newcastle United supporters made sure to make him feel even more shaky when every <laughs> single time the ball went near him, yeah. made clear Brilliant. that the trepidation that they probably had if they were if they were Manchester United fans about when the ball was going near him. Because it, the, the the interesting thing about him is that he obviously is is seen as this sort of keeper who's very good with his feet, but he doesn't seem to be particularly good at actually kicking the ball long, and that's what Manchester United had to resort to because yeah. Newcastle. Through Isak, through Almiron, through Bruno Guimaraes, through the other midfielders, were, were basically cutting off those passing channels. He had to go along, and and then there were the moments from set pieces, as you say, where he sort of came and flapped at a couple of. I thought he made it a couple of all right saves, and actually he wasn't the reason why Manchester United lost. The Manchester United team in general were just Newcastle were better than them in every single department. I don't think there's one area of the pitch you could look at yeah. and say that Newcastle weren't better than them in midfield. I thought Newcastle dominated them. Joel Linton was physical. Bruno Gamarayesh is very much back to his best, orchestrating things. And 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 Lewis Miley again. I, I mean, Eddie Howe said afterwards he thought it was his best performance so far for Newcastle. And again, I think it's just someone who looks so comfortable playing in that position and the simple things that he does well, the correct decision making that he takes. And and actually, Kobe Mino was basically there to man mark him. That was almost yeah. what they did in the first twenty minutes to man mark a seventeen year old, which is is astonishing in itself. But yeah, Newcastle. Castle in every single department were far better and all for all of the attention on Andrew and Anna, he was not the reason why Manchester United lost. No, and there was plenty of chances in that first half, Jacob, wasn't there? But Newcastle really needed that goal and it came at just the right time. It was a great uh, interception from Trippier originally and a, a great run round the back from Gordon and a fabulous ball in by the right back. It was all brilliantly set up by Bruno Gimaraes and his vision, wasn't it? All three of those guys were magnificent. Yeah, it's almost a bit of a throwback to the moves which Newcastle really used last year to great effect in terms of creating these quite intricate patterns on the right-hand side. Um, And it left Trippier in so much space. I saw a great video recorded from the back of a Melbourne stand um, and you kind of see this group of lads go up to celebrate just as Trippy is putting the cross in because they can see Gordon's unmarked <laughs> and Gordon yeah. has now changed that. Rep- like at Everton, no one was cheering that early if Gordon was about to get a chance. And the fact that that's now changed, he is now clinical. He can now finish all those chances and they- and it almost felt like that guarantee there's going to be a goal was just another sign of how far Newcastle had come. He's very good at that peeling away around the back post, isn't he, Chris? He's done that a couple of times this season where he just suddenly appears and there was a lovely little bit of movement where Wambasaka just has a little check over his shoulder to see where he is and as soon as he looks the other way 
Gordon's gone and he's got no chance to keep up with him. Well, it's something that he and Newcastle have been working on. He's been working on those runs in the match, and it was actually part that they did even more so on Saturday night than he has been previously, because Newcastle had sort of identified those weaknesses. They had identified that you can get in and behind an overload on, on both of Manchester United's fullbacks because Garnacho and Rashford just were not going to come back. And so Trippier and Livermento, who we're going to come on to soon, were wonderful, but they also had the freedom, basically, of, of both flanks to do that. But Gordon, I thought first half wasn't as prominent necessarily in open play as he has been, but I think part of the reason for that was he was he was constantly looking to try and gamble and come into the box in those areas. Yeah. And eventually, when he got that opportunity, he was there. Trippier plays the perfect ball across, and he scores. And that's now four home games in the Premier League in a row that Gordon scored. The first uh, Newcastle player to do that since who, Taylor? Do you know? Four home games in a row? Four Premier League home games in a row. Um, Darren Peacock? <laughs> Good. Like that. Um, four home games in a row. Um, oh, are you say Perez, maybe? No, you've got to go back to uh, a Frenchman. Uh, a, a Frenchman who came to Newcastle and primarily played on the left wing. Stayed following relegation despite wanting to leave uh, in... Johan Gufran was the last Newcastle player wow. to do it. And before Johan that, the last, Eng- the last Englishman to do it, though, was Alan Shearer in 1999. So. Wow, there you go. A potential quiz question, yeah. that one, Chris. Well done. There you go, there you go. Excellent stuff. I think that that play of Gordon also goes all the way back to last summer. And it's really important, in hindsight, the spell which he had at the Euros with England, where he played up front in that false nine role. Yeah. And they really developed his off-ball running, his finishing, and trust was put on him to be that goal scorer because he does need, he, you know, he has needed to add goals and assists to his game. I think stylistically, in terms of English wingers, the closest comparison to him is someone like Saka, who likes, they play on different sides, but they like to come in, cut inside, and, direct, and attack through the goal directly. They can play anywhere across the front three. Yeah. And Gordon is now starting to actually evoke some of those numbers now like there's all the discussion about the England squad and obviously he really outshone Marcus Rashford at the weekend I mean especially that off-ball work I mean there's chalk and cheese yeah more on him in a moment my word absolutely we have mentioned the fullbacks already Kieran Trippier was was fabulous down the right hand side but we have to say Chris Tino Livramento again impressing on the left and for a lad who's playing in a position that isn't his most comfortable place to play on a football pitch He's just putting it in, isn't he? Every week, putting it in, 100%, putting in the performances. He's doing brilliantly. He is doing brilliantly, as you say. He's still only 21 years of age as well, and he's had this serious injury, which he is still... He's only a few games back from, really, in terms of full matches coming back into that intensity, and yet he keeps excelling every single time he plays for Newcastle. You can't help but say that he's one of the best players on the pitch in those moments. He just delivers, whether it's defensively, as I think was more of his performance, really, uh, at PSG, where, uh, and, and more so, even more so the weekend before against Chelsea. This time, he was prominent going forward, and... It, he sort of glides with the ball, I think, when he goes forward. There's a, yeah, he's got a very absolutely. interesting running style, and, it, and it's. I think he's deceptively quick as well. I mean, he is quick, but I think that you don't realise how quick he is actually moving. Powerful when he goes as well, Chris. He, he very is powerful, and he also has. He knows when to to flick the ball beyond a player to get beyond them. He did that a couple of times to Rashford and just left them sort of completely uh, for dead, really. And I thought that 
you saw that he isn't just on that side to sort of cover in there. He can certainly at St. James's Park offer that attacking threat that they need on both flanks. And in a different way to Kieran Trippier, he, he doesn't necessarily have the same delivery as Trippier, but he can certainly get in the positions. And then defensively, he, he recovers so well. He, his positioning is very good. He covered across a couple of times, snapped, snaffled it out from Garnacho when he got through one side, when that, he had to cover across a right back to do that. And mm-hmm. with every passing week, you, you look at it and you think, as much as people may have questioned earlier on in the season why Newcastle committed all this money in the fullback. Certainly from the Livermento point of view, if he continues on the trajectories on from what has, he's d- developed so far, then Newcastle have a really, really special talent on their hands. It's great to see how much he's developed from his breakthrough season at Southampton as well. In that first year at Southampton, attacking-wise, his main way of progressing the ball was just sprinting downfield. He was like roadrunner. He just sort of meep meep down there. It was kind of very <laughs> yeah. straight up, um, direct. And it was interesting when they signed him because it's, as Chris alluded to earlier, almost stylistically the opposite to Kieran Trippier, who does most of his progression through passing. But you've actually seen that Livermento starting to introduce that into his game. Kind of, he's getting very good at the little one-twos. He's building up that understanding with the number eights in Bruno and the system to kind of get past it. And just the rate of improvement there, considering he's had, what, five starts or so, um, is pretty startling. That was his second Premier League start for Newcastle. And you wouldn't know. I mean, that, that's the thing. You know, you know, his I mean, first Premier League start was actually the Chelsea game the week before. So this is... But he's he's excelled in both the Champions League and the Premier League for Newcastle, and obviously he's had back to back man the match performances in the Carabao Cup as well. So yeah, he just really is someone who you look at and you think, how do you take him out of the team now? I mean, there are so many. The defense has been wonderful for so long. Dan Burns played a huge role in that, and obviously Sven Botman as well. But at the minute, you look at it and you, and you think th- those players are going to have to play their way back into this side, which is exactly what Absolutely, you want when you when players come in. You want them to step up and, and increase that competition, and that's exactly what they've done. But it is nice to think that when Burn comes back, there's going to be massive fluidity rather than rigidity. Rather than rigidity, is that words? Or can I just not say rigidity? it? Rigidity. Rigidness. <laughs> Yeah, let's not go too deep into the weeds on that one. Um, no, but no, but you're going to have that fluidity in the back four and be able to properly set up for different ways depending on the opposition. Whereas before, kind of, we've usually had this quite set back four, which we've seen in the Newcastle team, and that is also hugely encouraging going forward. Oh, massively so. Uh, and maybe it was that extra day's rest, uh, or maybe their impromptu coach trip. But Manchester United had absolutely nothing, did they, Chris? I mean. Marcus Rashford looked like a lad who just opened his lunchbox and found out his mum had left ready-salted crisps in there instead of the good ones. He had a face like an arse for the whole game, didn't he? He just didn't look arse, didn't look bothered, didn't look interested. And you almost felt a little bit sorry for Harry Maguire, uh, who seemed to be one of the only players in red who had a bit of an appetite. Yeah, I mean, I thought Marcus Rashford's body language was terrible. I really felt for Kobe Mino because, as I say, an 18-year-old coming in that team, so much expectation on him, and he had absolutely no support, really. Bruno Fernandes played a few nice passes and tried to make things happen, but beyond that, I I thought that, yeah, Man United United struggled. The the bizarre decision as well that nobody from the Manchester United perspective could seem to understand as well, that he played Luke Shaw as a left-sided centre-back, despite having centre-backs and left-backs on his bench, all rather odd in terms of the way that he he set that up. And Newcastle capitalised on that. I mean, the goal actually comes from Shaw's ball out, which is why he was in the team to try and help them play that way. And it's Trippier who then gets in front of Garnaccio and, and, and the goal comes from there. But... I'll be honest, in the press room before the game, I, I turned up at St. James as quite confident that Newcastle were going to win. And then the more and more I spoke to 
different people who cover Manchester United, and the more and more they told me how bad they were, weirdly, perversely, the less and less confident I got that Newcastle were going to win because it was almost like everyone thinks they're terrible <laughs> and Newcastle are going they should win. But I mean, th- you saw that from the very first minute how much better Newcastle were than I think it's. I think it's more than two years since Manchester United have gone to any of the current top eight and actually. One, they they're not then they're just not the elite side that that they were previously, and Newcastle very much are an elite side at the moment. Certainly at St James's Park. I mean, I'll go further in depth into their home record a bit later on, but I thought that until Man United made some subs and Newcastle's eleven players who had started all three matches in eight days started to tire a little bit later on, and a few balls went in the box. As you say, Manchester United offered absolutely nothing and came away with nothing, which is less than they deserve really do you tend to give it a big one chris in the in the press box before before matches were you going around to man new journalists kind of in the approach that we're, we're, we're gonna fucking do yeah just do weird <laughs> that, that that's so it talks that, me into the base aggression yeah i mean i am from east london so that's what i tend to do as well yeah, yeah i go i go, I, go a, a bit, I do i do a bit of rear winston going around the press box uh <laughs> No, but I was chatting. I was just generally about because what I said was <laughs> the way I started all the conversations was I'm still baffled. I only saw, admittedly, the first 45 minutes of Manchester United against Everton the week before, but everywhere I heard afterwards was how that was Manchester United's best performance this season. And in the first half, Everton should have scored about four goals. I just couldn't. I couldn't quite comprehend. Now, by all intents and purposes, it was different in the second half. But then my United journalist was saying to me is. You just yeah, but if you if you go through every single other performance Man United have had, they basically haven't deserved to win a lot of the games that they've won. They've been battered a few times by other teams, and that then leaves by default that Everton performance is the best performance of the season. And it was like right, okay, so that maybe they are bad, and it turned out that yes, they are. But it also, and I want to say because a lot of Newcastle fans on social media have get, been getting frustrated about this. I will before I say this, I will say ignore what everyone else says about Newcastle or about other teams. Just ignore it. But. Man United were made to look bad also because Newcastle were very good and some people get annoyed because we don't pick that up enough but I also think of the opponents Newcastle have faced this season Manchester United were against the meekest and were the easiest in many ways to exploit in the way that Newcastle United did you've still got to go out and do that and you've still got to be good enough to do it and Newcastle did it but I think Man United just didn't didn't have any anything about them at all yeah I just don't it's one of the big mysteries of the universe Chris that Man United were actually ahead of Newcastle going into this game in the league I don't get that well, also that they finished ahead of them last season in the Premier League as well. I still think I think the table did lie last season when Newcastle finished behind Manchester United. Um, I just uh, that usually I would you would say the opposite, but I just don't think I even think last season that they sort of managed to somehow claw it away. And you, you have to say in a way that, that there's a, something begrudgingly impressive about that because if you keep digging out results despite seemingly not being as good a team as people think, but when they've gone head to head in every single match apart from the Carabao Cup, Newcastle are just a better team than them. Um, and that's why the final, I think, defeat feels so hurtful in many ways for Newcastle because they should have, they should that should have been their day, and for whatever reason, it didn't turn out to be. Yeah. But Newcastle, I think, the evidence is mounting that they are just a far better side than Manchester United. I would have to agree with that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. There's only one really big negative from the game, isn't there? Uh, Nick Pope's injury was a big blow, and whether serious or not, 
shoulder injuries are always a lot worse for a goalkeeper than they are for an outfielder, aren't they, uh, Jacob? And it's it's such a shame to see Nick Pope go down with that because he's been brilliant recently. And it was the fact that the injury kind of looked so innocuous. It was it was a dive to his left, not even. It was in nothing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was kind of sad that the ball didn't actually even reach the goal in the end, as it was blocked. I mean, it's the sort of dive which you see goalkeepers making dozens of times in training, let alone match days itself, and just catches something wrong with his shoulder. Two dislocated shoulders in a season for Newcastle United feels like absolutely awful luck. I mean, it's the sort of injury you kind of get much more in rugby union than uh, football. A lot of the injuries have been really bizarre, though, haven't they, this season? Stress fractures and Dan Burn breaking his back and, and you know, the, the toe injury for Harvey Barnes, the, the two dislocated shoulders... When are we going to get a bit of luck from this? You know, like it, it, this just seems to be happening again and again and again. Yeah, and, and it's interesting actually because last season, whether you call it luck or whether it's good medical care, like Newcastle did really well. They had the most number of players play over, I forget exactly how many minutes it was. I think it was 5,000 minutes of any team in the top four leagues. They had 11 players hit that, which kind of shows that they were one of the kind of most resilient teams um, in terms of availability. Mm. And yet this year, that's totally fallen by the wayside, whether it's just kind of the universe averaging it out. Who knows? But then kind of, yes, I mean, as you mentioned, kind of one saving grace is that at least Newcastle have one of the smaller gaps between their first choice goalkeeper and their second choice goalkeeper of lots of teams in the league. Martin Dubravka has already proved himself to be Premier League standard starting goalkeeper who is in a way been unfortunate that Nick Pope's form had been so good since he's joined Newcastle and so he will kind of there's every optimism he will be able to fill in admirably I'll be honest in the in the seconds after he went down injured because I because my where we were in the press box my gaze immediately went to where the ball went out of play because it didn't actually go out of play the ball was still in play and then I sort of glanced to the, to the side and, and saw Pope lying down. And I'll be honest, and this sounds terrible in the fact that afterwards it turns out to be quite a serious injury. I wondered if he'd done the, sometimes Jason Tindall tells him to go down in, in a key moment sort of thing. And that was my hope at that moment. That was what would ha- had happened. Obviously, subsequently it turned out, no, he is just, he is just injured. Yeah. The, ball, the, the, the referee didn't immediately stop the game because I don't think the referee realised again how that was. The play did go on for another 15 or 20 seconds before eventually it was like, yeah, Nick Pope is down here. We need, we need to actually stop. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's a huge blow for him. Uh, Eddie Howe may think it's a bit of an oversight that he only named two goalkeepers on the bench this weekend when it was three the previous weekend, but Martin Dubravka came on and Newcastle do have options there. They have Martin Dubravka, who will be the one who will, will deputise in Nick Pope's absence. Loris Karius, who's one and only appearance so far, was that Carabao Cup final, the only time he's played for Newcastle United. They also have Mark Gillespie, uh, who's never actually played a senior game under uh, Eddie Howe, hasn't played in the Premier League before, only three League Cup appearances for Newcastle United. Yeah. And immediately the debate became, do Newcastle need to go in the market in January? And there's already been, despite it being less than two days since, uh, since the game itself, there's already been a lot of talk of, I mean, David De Gea's already been linked um, with, with Newcastle because he's without a club, having left Manchester United last summer. I, all of that is is very, very premature. Now, Newcastle will be 
will and are be are doing what needs to be done in terms of any preparation work for if they decide they do need to move in the market. But Martin Dubravka is going to be given every opportunity to impress, and Newcastle will see how that goes over the course of the next few weeks. The January transfer window is still nearly a month away before Newcastle need to move. They can't sign a free agent and play them anyway because they have a full 25-man Premier League squad. Um, and also, they, as I said, they've already got three senior goalkeepers and Nick Pope will come back at some point. So contingency plans are in place. They'll, they will look at what is going to go on. But in terms of on having Newcastle decided they're going to sign David here or anyone else, at this stage, they have made no firm decision or anything because as we speak right now, it may have changed by later on today because Nick Pope's due to have a scan today. We still don't even yeah. know what the full prognosis <coughs> is. We're expecting four or five months, unfortunately. Certainly a decent period of time, given as a goalkeeper's shoulders. Uh, it's not just like he could maybe come back and be an outfield player. It's going to be something which he's going to put stress on again in the future. But yes, it's it's a, it's a position which maybe Newcastle will look at in January. But at this stage, it depends on how those current ones perform and whether they need to do anything else. Yeah, something's just occurred to me as well, Chris. And I say occurred to me, and it occurred to me because Ollie wrote it on the running order. Uh, have I, have I, any of our backup keepers played in any games not involving Manchester United in the past two seasons? Well, what I wanted to say was that <laughs> Martin Dubravka did well to overcome uh, the emotion of the match, seeing as he won silverware uh, and was playing That's his it. former club last season, just mm. to deal with the emotions and the thoughts that have been mm, whirling around huge. his head. Ad, like. Absolutely incredible fortitude. Both of his appearances this season have been against Manchester United as well. His only other appearance was the Carabao Cup win at uh, Old Trafford. That's it. Exactly. There you go. Uh, and well, despite the dominance, uh, 1-0, it's always a vulnerable scoreline, isn't it? Uh, and that awful moment when Anthony put the ball in the net, thankfully uh, it hit Harry Maguire on the way through, Jacob, and, and Newcastle were lucky there. Well, yeah, just a little bit of background to where I was watching this match. I was a late call-up to this podcast, and so I'd made other plans on Saturday night, and so I went to Brick Lane in East London, and I was having a curry nice. with some mates, and and... It was a great curry house for this because it had a massive flat screen TV at the back of it, uh, w- w- which was showing a match. So I was like, great, made my way through my poppadoms, Manan, and could watch the whole game. Perfect. Wasn't probably great company for my friends. <laughs> I was going to say, it must be great on a night out. But being London, <laughs> when Anthony put the ball in the net, kind of half the restaurant kind of went up in, in, in celebration, kind of at the... Uh, Amazing. Because you had a decent branch of a fan club uh, in that night and... Um, I then decided I needed to talk to my friends for a bit and looked up again. It wasn't until two minutes later I sort of realised it hadn't actually been awarded and the ball had sort of just glanced off Harry Maguire who was standing in an offside position which uh, invalidated the goal. But yeah. I'm an Everton fan. I'm I think used he to... knew. He knew straight away, didn't yeah. he? Harry Maguire knew instantly. You could tell by his face. He, he does often have a look of a kicked puppy to him. <laughs> Um, so, so kind of it is a bit more of a default expression yeah. um, but I mean I'm an Everton fan I'm used to talking about injustice especially in the last week or two and it, it really would have been a travesty if um, if Manu had equalised in that match because it would have been remarkably unmerited yeah they didn't deserve it Chris did they? no they didn't and I mean but Man United aren't the... I mean, I've said how I thought Man United were the meekest of opponents, but they're not the only opposition side who've come to St. James's and struggled because Newcastle are formidable. It really is the clichéd fortress St. James's again, and it wasn't before Eddie Howe took over. Newcastle was quite an easy ground to come to. Their, their record wasn't great at all. I think it was eight wins across the whole of 2021. Before Eddie Howe took charge, Newcastle hadn't won, obviously, a single game, never mind at home. He didn't win his first two 
Premier League home matches either as, as Newcastle boss against Brentford and then, and then Norwich City. And since then, I mean, their record is absolutely exemplary. Only five teams have left with all three points in the Premier League and that was Liverpool three times, uh, Manchester City and Arsenal. And this season, they've stepped it up another level. They've won seven of their eight Premier League home games. The only one that they've lo- they didn't win was they should have won. Really, was against Liverpool for eighty-one minutes. They were the better side, and then conceded and somehow contrived to lose yeah. that match. I think it's thirteen-one in the last six matches. The, the, the aggregate score, and they are just very, very, very difficult side to beat at St James's Park. That is what is keeping them in touch with with the top four and, and with potential Champions League qualification again because they actually have the biggest differential between the number of points they've picked up at home and the number of points they've picked up away in the Premier League. They've only picked up five points away from home. They're not the side away from home that they were last season and that's what they need to rectify going forward But at, because at the moment St James's Park the form that they have there the way that the connection there is between supporters and the players how comfortable the players are with playing there how they know how to play and I think that that in many ways the the war flags display before the game sort of summarised all that to have Eddie Howe's quote from before the, the the Manchester United home game last season when he'd used Eric Ten Hag's words about Newcastle not wanting the ball in play yeah. and he basically said let's effing give it to them and we don't surrender and then the, the, the big mural of Eddie Howard's the held up that sort of summarises everything about Newcastle at St James's Park it is somewhere you come and you are not going to get a second on the ball you are going to be pressed at the right moments and eventually pressure will tell and that's that, that was the sort of one thing which I think although there was a bit of nervous at half time at St James's on Saturday I think for the most part fans sort of knew that this pressure will tell eventually this side is is too good there's too big a gulf between the two sides and this side despite all 11 starters having played all three matches this, this that week and having played 171 minutes before the weekend that they will keep going and they will eventually get the goal and 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 so it so it turned out and that's why as I say they are still chasing that Champions League spot Yes, uh, first time we've beaten Man United three times in a row since 1922. We're sixth in the table, three points off Aston Villa in fourth and that final Champions League spot. Um, it's going well, Jacob, isn't it? Newcastle United are doing all right, all things considered. Still in the quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup, still in with a, with a chance of qualifying in the Champions League and going well in the league as well. With everything that's going on, all of the injuries... All of the turmoil, the team is still playing well and still getting results. Yeah, they're almost through this glut of fixtures kind of between League Cup, Champions League group stages and an absolutely relentless uh, Christmas schedule allied that with the injuries. They've done well to basically still be like just kind of everything's, if not on track, all the wheels are still on the track. Like they've still got chances and everything to progress. Yeah. Uh, stylistically, they haven't had to compromise too much in anything they're doing. There's still this kind of real excitement and you can see development from last season. Individual players are continuing to, to develop and over the next few weeks, you're going to see more and more players return, which are only going to add to the options. So if they're getting wins with these bare bones of a squad, what's actually going to happen when it gets fleshed out a bit more by some real living, breathing actual players rather than the kind of regens which have been on the bench for, for a few weeks? Absolutely right then. Time to move on. And Body wins the ball back on the edge of the box. The ball comes over. It's dropped. And it's in. Goal from Newcastle United. And we have Ferguson. The substitution comes on and absolutely changes the game. Sunday at Kingston Park. Another dominant Newcastle performance. Another 1-0 win 
and another team doing remarkable things game after game. Uh, great fight from a struggling West Brom side to keep Newcastle out until the 85th minute. But Becky Ferguson has been in rich goal-scoring form of late. And she kept a cool slot in the winner before getting even cooler by celebrating with a pitch-side snow angel. Brilliant. Absolutely superb. The Lasses went top of the league with that win, but it's Stoke City next in the cup for them. And we have another date with Red and White Stripes in January, don't we, Chris? Yes. Uh, for those who may have missed this, on Sunday was the... <laughs> The draw for the epic. I mean, uh, Taylor, has, he couldn't even wait for me to finish that sentence. That's how much he is dreading this. Uh, so the draw for the FA Cup third round was made. And for the first time since 1956, Newcastle United and Sunderland will play one another in the in the uh, FA Cup. It will be at the Stadium of Light on the weekend of the, the 6th and 7th of January. And the first derby, I think it's in seven years that there's going to be, a certainly senior derby. Um, and yes, it's going to be quite the occasion. I think there's already uh, all of the cup draws Newcastle have had this season. I mean, we, we one, go through them. One normal cup draw, Chris. Yeah. That's all I ask. One normal oh. cup draw. So we go through them again. They've had Man City at home in the Carabao Cup. They've had Manchester United away in the Carabao Cup, then Chelsea away. And then obviously in the Champions League, that their draw, the, the so-called group of death with their AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund and Paris Saint-Germain. And then they get the, their FA Cup draw and they come up against, yes, a championship side in Sunderland, but also... That they're bitter rivals, and really the the pressure is all on Newcastle going into that one. If you look at it, and they go there and really should should win that match. But given the fixture pileup, given all the injuries, it's a it's a match which I think in in most ways neither club really really would have wanted at that point because don't need it, it, do it, we? It, no neither side really needs it and yet it's one of the ones where there's there's pressure on both teams to to try and deliver. So that will be a, a pretty momentous day. Yes. Yeah, I was driving to work. Uh, when I had the radio on and I was listening to Talk Sport and suddenly the, the news came up that the uh, the draw had been made and that was the headline for the draw. And I actually had to pull the car over and just stop and, and just take it in for a couple of minutes because I was like, I can't, I can't believe this. I can't believe it. And every time there's a cup draw, you look at where Sunderland is, don't you? You go, oh, imagine. Oh, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something, Chris? And then it happens and you just think, why? Why now? We don't need it now. Terrible. I hate it. I hate the derby. I hate playing them. I hate everything about it. It's just an absolute nightmare. I want nothing to do with it. I might just go into hibernation for a few days and come back out after it's finished. It's it's just awful. I hate it, man. Well, I, I mean, it's it's a long time since Newcastle have won one as well. I mean, I think it's twelve years now since since they won one. It, the 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 last derby was under Rafa Benitez at St James's Park, and the season Newcastle were relegated, uh, drew ones each. Mitrovic yeah, scored one one draw. Uh, yeah, for Newcastle. So that was yeah, a a, a big big day then, and this will be. A, a, but I think this one in some ways will feel, feel even bigger because of the the length of time that has been since the. Since then, and all that's happened since then, Newcastle relegated, then came back up. Sunderland have been relegated twice, and then only come back up to the championship. And so, yeah, that's a. It will be. I mean, there'll be far more to discuss just before that game. I'm sure when we we'll come up to that period. But yeah, there's there's a month. There's a month for supporters to stew on it as well. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that makes it better, doesn't it? Uh, it's not a universally popular draw amongst our fan base either, is it? Ian Dunbar on Twitter had this to say. Uh, These games have been horrible for decades. The atmosphere will be toxic, uncomfortable. I would prefer if we never had to play them ever again. And I have to be honest, I echo that sentiment, Chris. 
I echo that sentiment. I don't want to play them ever again either. I've had quite a few Newcastle fans who said similar to me as well. Some people absolutely relish these days. Some people just hate them and will be watching. If they're there, um, I'm sure th- behind they'll have their hands in front of their eyes at certain points and other people will be hiding behind the sofa if, or behind the, the bar in the pub, wherever they may be watching it on that day. So, yeah. Yeah. Right then, let's move on. Give your loved ones the gift of The Athletic this year for Christmas. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod before January the 1st and choose between 1999 that's pounds dollars or euros for a one year subscription or 39.99 for two years uh, we'll be back after this short break So fixtures coming thick and fast and we're off to Liverpool on the Thursday night of an Amazon Prime week to face the Toffees Jacob Whitehead. Yeah, it's a meeting of two of my favourite things, uh, Everton and internet-based streaming services. Who are you going to support this week, Jacob? We don't know. A good win for Everton at Forest, uh, but that really was a low-quality game of association football, wasn't it, Jacob? Well, those aren't my words. and I don't like the don't you, Jacob. Don't you think, Jacob, in terms of putting them into my mouth, it was... (laughs) <laughs> a game won by a moment of the highest quality from Dwight McNeil. Yeah. A strike which, if it had been done by a Newcastle player in black and white, we would have no doubt devoted 20 minutes to. George would have been in tears three times and Chris would have already done a wide We are a Newcastle United of... podcast. This is a Newcastle United podcast. Yeah. I mean, why would we devote that time to... Yeah. It's like, why would we talk about Dwight McNeil? But if it had been a Newcastle player, the quality of the strike would have meant that you would have pretty much named right. the episode after it. I mean... You've got to, Chris you've got would to have string done it frame by frame on Y Scout, like a complete analysis breakdown, yeah. I can see about six framed pictures behind Chris. At least one of them would probably feature a kind of art deco restoration version of McNeil's <laughs> strike. I mean, it is that it was it was that good. Hmm. McNeil's obviously got good form as well against Newcastle. He scored direct from a corner. Is there anything which this lad from Burnley cannot do? <laughs> um so I'm feeling exceedingly confident ahead of Thursday before the inevitable dread of 10 minutes before kickoff and the inevitable <laughs> kicking yeah. I receive a couple of days later on the podcast. But for now, I'm in my full kind of William Wallace Braveheart mode of uh, operation. Fair play. Because where's the fun in anything else? Absolutely. Uh, they've been playing okay though, Chris, haven't they? Even before this uh, Premier League decision uh, fired up the fan base and presumably the players as well. Have it not, they're not doing too bad at the moment. No, they're not doing too badly, although they are the opposite of Newcastle in the sense that they are not good at Goodison Park, not what you would historically expect from, from Everton. They've only won once at home. I think they've lost five of their seven games. Whereas they are actually good away from home and the, the opposite of Newcastle in the sense that Newcastle pick up a greater number of points at home as opposed to away from home of anyone. And Everton are the opposite. They pick up a greater number of their points away from home. Mm. So it's sort of like Newcastle are going there with a with a, with a not great away record and Everton don't have a great home record. So something, I was going to say something has to give, but it could be a draw. But in theory, <laughs> in theory yeah. something could something could give. And this, this feels like a real opportunity for Newcastle, despite all of the injuries, to go there and if they can start well and get an early goal in a way that Manchester United did, then maybe that, that'll quieten the crowd somewhat and it, it will be another emotionally charged Goodison Park and Newcastle have the memories of, of winning their last season with Alexander Isak's wonderful assist for Jacob Murphy's yep. worldy, as, as some people I think the kids would call it nowadays, his worldy from a yard. Two-yard screamer. Yep. Two-yard screamer, yeah. He's no bicey. <laughs> oh, hey. 
The entirety of social media was on my side for that, by the way. You must have read some of them comments. It set social media on fire. You must have read well, Did them. you see actually the Oxford English Dictionary released their words of the year um, yesterday? And uh, in number two was situationship. In number one was the word riz. I don't know if you know what that means, but um, I, I think that Bicey should have been up there. It's rolly papers, isn't it? That's, that's what riz. That's a rizzler, you daft. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just playing up to the stereotype of being an old man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, Bicey, stop that. That's never happening again. Um, yeah, is this? there's a good chance this could be our last ever trip to Goodison Park, Jacob, is that Yeah, right? and it's sure to be an emotional day for Eddie Howe, the boyhood Evertonian who uh, grew up kind of making pilgrimages from his southern England home up to Liverpool, up to Goodison Park. I know the feeling well. Um, and so, you know, he may just want to give a little bit back to, to the team who has made him the manager and the man he, he is today. Absolutely. Do they have a, a preferred end that they like to kick towards uh, at Goodison Park? So they're, they're sort of OG Newcastle style. They have a Gladys Street end, which is their favourite. They kick towards it in the second half. There's no hill influence at play. Right. But there is a sort of sucking the ball into the net kind of vibe which, which goes on. Um, however, it did not work very well. Last season, that's correct. When we conceded, Absolutely. I think it was four goals Absolutely. in the second half. Uh, presumably, Chris, there'll be a quick turnaround uh, before the trip to Spurs. Uh, we might actually see some tactical substitutions from Eddie Howe, or will we? Well, it I suppose depends if any players are back. I think there is an outside chance that possibly Sean Longstaff may be in and around by later this week, but Eddie Howe has been quite coy on that. Sven Botman. It was due to return to some form of first tre- team training today, along with the group. I don't know if that was full training, but he was he was due to to at least play join some of the players. I don't think he'd be immediately returning. But Newcastle don't have a lot of bodies necessarily coming back in this, those couple of matches, and how has seemed reluctant to turn to his bench. So I don't think that. Certainly at Everton, I think it'll be a very similar 11, probably for the majority of the match. At Spurs, he might have to rotate a little bit, but he hasn't got a whole wealth of options. So uh, that is that is the the, the load that these players are having, has been put on these this current 11 players is huge. And you do feel that something has to give at some stage. But yeah. for now, given that they are winning matches or very narrowly not winning in, 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 in Paris... Um, I think he will stick with them, just given the, the lack of options elsewhere. But I say that eleven. Obviously, Dubravka will be in goal instead of Nick Pope. I did enjoy Eddie Howe's comments after the match on TNT Sports, where they said, "You know, your players are they struggling with fatigue?" And he went, "Nah, we rested them fine. They're all right. It's fine. Nothing to worry about." I thought, "Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I honestly, don't know about that at all." It'll be interesting to see this uh, for an Anthony Gordon lens because last season. He literally just came on for the last five minutes and it was very soon after his acrimonious exit from Everton. That's right, yeah. This time you think he's absolutely guaranteed pretty much to start the match. And uh, from an Everton perspective, it will be quite interesting to see how that goes down, seeing as he is in undoubtedly the best form of his career on the edge of the England squad. So that is definitely something I'll be keeping an eye on. Yes, absolutely want to watch that one. Uh, right then, a couple of little things before we finish off. Email us at podonthetine at theathletic.com if you want to get in touch. Uh, we also have to say as well, love to George, uh, who tells us he's had a lovely week with his family in the US, even getting up at silly o'clock to watch the Chelsea match. He was supposed to be back today, but he's had to delay his return. Uh, thanks for all the messages asking after him. We miss him as much as you do. Uh, and we hope he'll be back next time, fingers crossed. And finally, 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 before we go... Uh, if anyone has been doing the impromptu quiz question about goalkeepers, uh, Martin Dubravka did play in the Premier League against Liverpool. 
Uh, he was subbed uh, after Nick Pope was sent off. Uh, and Chelsea, starting the final game last season, as Nick Pope had uh, had to have surgery on his hand, didn't he? Uh, and also in the FA Cup exit, Sheffield Wednesday. And I think it's fair enough that we forgot about that one. Uh, so there you go, Chris. Well, that one was Jacob's fault, wasn't it? Because that was his first... First, one of his first proper games as Newcastle. Ah, the Whitehead curse. Yeah. yeah, remember that. Yeah. Well, Sheffield went to my second team, so I make absolutely no bones about my joy at that result. Can you have eleven second teams? Are you allowed yeah. that many? Or well, I don't know. I've got more teams than Newcastle have fit players. To be fair, so. <laughs> You're very much the Robbie Keane of this podcast, aren't you? Oh, my boyhood club, Southampton. Oh, honestly, I always wanted to play for Elliot Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, right, then that's it. Thanks very much for your time, Chris. You're very welcome. I've just realised I've forgotten to say something which I was going to mention earlier on that I did actually manage to annoy a lot of my editors on Saturday night because um, I decided that every single time we, we sort of had this chat that was set up for, for the game between Newcastle United and Manchester United and every single time someone referred to United I would put an asterisk and correct it as Newcastle United or Manchester United <laughs> and uh, I got to the point where I actually had to be told to stop doing it because I was annoying them that much oh, but I was so, so annoyed in response so yes I just wanted to I just wanted to, to reveal that publicly so yes I love that Chris that's brilliant and when did the disciplinary finish? I think I'm still uh, I think I'm still uh, in the bad books so we'll just have to wait and see facing a three game ban from live match analysis I also did a, uh, a, a, a. I don't think Eddie Howe was annoyed with my question on Saturday, but he did his his, his uh, sort of response with basically I was trying to ask about the home form and I fumbled the question a little bit and basically just asked him why are you so good at St James's Park, to which he sort of stopped and looked at me and then went except the obvious and then started talking about the crowd and then I was like okay well that's that's a fair response really I haven't really got it was it was a rubbish question but it was because I was going to write about it so I thought I'll ask and then yeah it was uh, Ollie might be able to clip that up and set and put it on so you can hear the the bafflement in Eddie Howe's voice when I asked that question. I love that though, Chris. The seasons come and go, the temperatures change, the weather changes, but you will always still annoy the fuck out of Eddie Howard every possible opportunity, won't you? Brilliant stuff. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for your time, Jacob. So I hope to see the other side of a momentous victory for the boys in blue, an exit from the relegation that's, zone. That, that, um, that's enough of that. I think basically no. as long as one of your players doesn't beat six players and then sort of flick it across goal for someone to whack it in, I'll, I'll be happy. Yeah, you never know. Right, then that's it. Thanks very much for listening. From everybody at Pot on the Time, take care. Have a good week. We shall speak to you soon. Bye-bye. the sixth home win in a row in the Premier League and we've only won twice away from home in, in all competitions this season. Why do you think you are just so strong St James? Apart from the obvious, um, <laughs> the crowd do make it, I mean, it's well documented through through sport, the home home support is so important but I think here it's, it's unique. So yes, it galvanises us, it gives us extra energy, it, the crowd really helped us today. We have to find a way to win away, and we have to, our away form needs to improve. Um, but let's just celebrate our home form, and the atmosphere that the supporters create helps us, um, and has really driven us onto these results. I think. The Athletic.